Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, the cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. It's great to be back after our short break, and we hope we didn't leave you all with too much withdrawals. This show, as always, was brought to you by 420 Australia and OGS, Organic Gardening Solutions. In this episode, we're joined by one of the most controversial figures in the industry, the man himself, Matt Riot. So here we go. Alrighty, so a big welcome to arguably the most controversial man in the industry, the punk rocker himself, Matt Riot. Thanks for coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. So, the first question I like to ask people is, let's go back to the start. You know, what was your first experience with cannabis? Uh, my first experience with cannabis, uh, my dad was a grower and a smuggler and a dealer of all kinds of different wonderful uh, drugs <laughs> when I was young. So, I, I mean, one of the first smells I remember smelling was cannabis, and that that's how far it went back. Um, you know, I, I was able to water for him when I was little, and, and really, at, at, during those years, I had no interest in it. It was a terrible chore. And, um, as I got older, of course, the interest grew a lot more uh, when I started smoking. And so, what was the first strain you remember smoking? Oh God, we, you know, we didn't really have names for strains back then. So it was just like, um, skunk bud, you know, that's pretty much what they called it. All of it. Um, sometimes they call it like red hair or orange hair, which really didn't mean anything. <laughs> it just happened to have more orange or more red hair. I mean, that's pretty much the only names that they ever called any of it. Yeah. Okay. And do you think that any of that stock you would like consider working nowadays? Is it some of that glorious? Oh God, I, you know, I mean, it, a lot of it's going to be the Mexican stuff, maybe very little Colombian at that time because I was I was uh, too young to really hit the Colombian era. So a lot of it was going to be a lot of the really shitty, shittily grown, very moldy Mexican stuff they were pushing through Arizona and California. So probably not, not a uh, whole lot of, of wonderful things coming through there. And so before you got into breeding yourself, were there ever any breeders you were kind of looking up to or was it more of just like a natural progression to do it yourself? Mm, um, see, Ingomar, who created White Widow, um, of course, that, that was a big strain when I was young. You know, that was one of the first named strains that we heard about other than Alaskan Thunderfuck, Matanuska Valley Thunderfuck. Um, of course, Blueberry with DJ Short, the name was well known. And a lot of the stuff Neville Schoenmaker did, uh, the, you know, uh, was it like the, the NL5, Big Bud, um, a lot of that stuff was very big around that time as well. So those are some of the bigger names around the time. Yeah, and so how do you feel those genetics stand up to some of the ones today? You know, it's like a contested topic whether the you know older stuff was better than now. Um, you know, like you can still go back to a lot of those old Northern Light Five Haze lines, and there's people like uh, Terra Rojo that work those now, and it's still the same same lines that were available back then, and they're still just as dank as, as anything we're putting out now. It's just you know. As with anything, there's a large phenotypic selection that needs to go on, and, and it takes a, a large selection to go through all that stuff, and there's a lot of phenotypes. And, I mean, back then, people weren't doing these massive selections like they can do now, you know? The space was so much more limited. Um, but, yeah, they, they tend to stand the test of time. There's so many that still do. It's just a matter of what people prefer. Um, a lot of what people prefer now is the visual look of, like, the, the hard, you know, dense nugs and uh, – that that wasn't what it looked like as much back then. You still had a lot of the sativa airy buds. 
Yeah, yeah, I've noticed that that real swollen, bracked kind of look from like that cookies has is very popular. Um, yeah, especially out here. Yeah. <laughs> do you find that um, essentially, do, do you kind of subscribe to that idea that some people have that those older genetics were, you know, some of the best and we've watered them down in a sense or it more just taken in a different but equal direction? Uh, I, I'd say, you know, I mean, if you look at the THC values, they, they've actually increased over all the years. So, I mean, in that sense, that if you just look at the THC percentage and a lot of people subscribe to that being the most important factor with, with cannabis, if you, if you believe that way, which I, I don't personally, then yeah, we've, we've increased and made everything better. But I mean, just through selection alone, I mean, even if people aren't breeders, they're going to keep picking the best uh, just as a whole the ratio is going to keep going up as far as what the best is. And I, I think today we have a wider selection, um, a more diverse selection of really amazing stuff. You know, it's not just the one or two skunk types, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, if we go back a bit now, like some of the earliest information I could find on you as a breeder was you being a part of that small crew, the modern militia with Lumper and the Blazers and Hazeman. How did that mm-hmm. kind of come about? And like as a bit of a follow-up, what led to the breakdown of that? Um, well, I wasn't really in the Motor Militia crew. I was just friends with all of them. Um, okay. Like Lupa. Lupa was a good friend. He still is. Uh, Moda is a good friend. He was. Hayes Man made a lot of the gear for Moda. Um, the breakdown, I mean, I, I, I would say, uh, probably stepping on toes saying it, but I mean, Moda retires three times a year. So I think that's kind of what happened. People were just like, oh, man, like he's going to retire? No, you know, and like so people start going away and, and then, you know, he's back a few months later and then he comes back and he retires. So, you know, I mean, more, more power to him. <laughs> yeah. And so I guess in that he's regard. He's probably been then, in retired. Yeah, yes, I mean, he's still he's still around, so he's still he's still doing his thing, still making cool shit. So, but um, yeah, the, the, a lot of those guys are still around. Yeah, so I guess. You know, do you, did you kind of start out on your own from the beginning, or were you kind of teamed up with someone to begin with? Um, when when I first started like getting into serious breeding, uh, my mentor was a guy named James Hogg Gonzalez who made the original Hogs Breath out of San Diego, and he taught me a lot of what was going on with breeding and and all the work he had done with the Hogs Breath, and I got to work on lines with him. We released a few seed lines, um, and then he passed away. So that was my my first real experience working with a real breeder, hands on and releasing lines. Um, we also had the San Diego Urban Growers Society, which was basically a collective. There was 32 of us at, the, at one point, and we would basically grow. We'd put our, our own money into it. We'd grow only for giving weed away to cancer and terminally ill patients. There was no, it wasn't like a collective where we'd give them to them cheap or whatever, you know. The cost came out of our pockets, and we did it just because there was no other collective in San Diego doing it, and it was it was just... It was a greed grab for a lot of people, and we wanted to push against that. Yeah, okay. And so was that kind of what drawed you to breeding initially? Were you trying to develop better strains for that collective, or was that like Um, further down the track? um, The the first thing that initially tried to get me to breed or or led me down that path was my best friend's mom had pancreatic cancer, and she kind of raised me. And during that time, I saw the only thing that was giving her her dignity back to be able to get out of bed and even like come have dinner with us was being able to smoke and only a few strains would work and it was hit or miss all the time. So during that time was when I really, really got heavily into it when she was still alive and she, she only lived about 
eight months with that. And I just kept going from then on out. And, and then came the, the San Diego Urban Growers Society came out of that, evolved out of that kind of. Uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so yep. were you initially just interested in regular seeds or was feminized seeds always something on your mind, seeing as that's something you are fairly well known for? Um, you know, back then, it didn't matter to me because I, I, I had already learned really early on how to reverse plant. So it didn't matter to me whether I had a male or a female. Um, I could always reverse a female and, and make a line. So it, it, either or. Um, There's a lot of stigma between or back then about breeding with feminized seeds. But looking at the science even back then, it was just like I realized, oh, this is like a old wives' tale. Like these people don't understand the science behind it. And they're just going to keep repeating the same bullshit until they understand it. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've always been pretty open to breeding with both. Yeah, so I mean, if we want to get into the kind of biology of all that, do you believe sure. that you know pollen produced from a feminized plant is different on the genetic level from pollen from just a straight hermaphrodite plant? Yes, yeah. Um, maybe not so much on a genetic level because all cannabis is, is a, a dual-sex plant. I mean, all of it is. It's just yeah. how much it expresses it, how much of the, how much of the, uh, the hormones are activated in the plant. Now, when you reverse a plant... Um, using like silver thiosulfate, which is what most of us use, uh, you're tricking the plant not necessarily into thinking it's stressed, but but to releasing more. Uh, let's see, it's halting gibberellin, if I remember correctly. No, it's bringing in gibberellin, halting uh, 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 ethylene production, which is the gas ethylene. And by doing that, it's it's making the plant or more male characteristics, less female. And it's not causing any stress to the plant. But when you're when you're hermaphroditing a plant, you're actually bringing that stress into it, and you're pushing the stress on into its progeny, which are the seeds. So I mean, that's the difference. You know, people say that you know all feminized seeds are more bound to herm, and that's not necessarily correct. There's a lot of plants that you cannot stress and push to to herm through stress, but you can do it using the silver thiosulfate method because it's not a stress uh, method. Yeah, so that sounds really similar to what I have always kind of theorized has happened. But just kind of to clarify, are we kind yeah. of saying that, you know, in a in a stressed hermaphroditic plant, the the stress causes say maybe some epigenetic changes or something, which are then put into the pollen and passed on, whereas the thiosulfate doesn't do that, and therefore it's yes, kind of yeah. like yeah, okay, great, yeah. So, what was the first feminized cross you ever made or tried to make? Oh God, that's a good question. Um, you see, I think one of the first ones was either Green Crack or Blue Dream, making an S1 line of one of the two. It was really early on when I did the Green Crack, and it was still, I think it was right around the same time I did the Blue Dream. I just don't remember which came first. Yeah, so I mean, this will be another good question. Blue Dream, a very, sure. very hot line to be s one Do you think that the, the variation in quality, because I've seen some really good Blue Dreams and some horrible Blue Dreams from different breeders, do you think the sure. difference is the cutting they're used or is a good feminized yeah. project taking several stages? Well, you know, a good feminized product project is always going to take several stages. But, I mean, most people don't ever get to, the, to do more than one stage because people want it now. They want it now. And if you, if you try to work on it for too long, then they lose interest. And, and maybe, maybe the line isn't as popular, you know, next season and it becomes worthless, you know. Uh, as far as making seeds and spending your time doing that. So a lot of them don't ever get worked more than one generation. But with Blue Dream, there, there's a specific cut from Santa Cruz called the SC cut, the Santa Cruz cut. And that one to me has always been like the Supreme Blue Dream. That's the one that, that for a long time everybody in San Diego was growing. 
um, everyone up north in Santa Cruz was growing, and that's where its reputation came from as being like this amazing, um, almost connoisseur level, uh, uh, massive yielder with tons of resin production and a really like very light, light, light blueberry smell with a nice like hmm, it had like a Thai uplifting happy high as opposed to a speedy haze high. Um, but a lot of the other <laughs> pretty much any blue haze out there now, like a blueberry haze cross, people are calling blue dream. And there is a lot of shitty blue haze crosses because haze is not like the most amazing line to breed with. Yeah. Okay. Interesting opinion there. We'll get into that in a moment. But the yeah. follow-up question is, do you think that a lot of the you know shittier cuts of Blue Dream are maybe S1s from the Santa Cruz or do you think just they're just various people have made it? Because it's an interesting point you brought up where I don't think Blue Dream was made by one person. I think many people have made that cross and, you know, the... the oh, cross. yeah. So what do you I think? mean, there's... There's Johnny Blaze. That, that was another line released by Legend Seed Line that was also another Blueberry Haze. But Blueberry Haze has been being made by hundreds of people over, over decades, you know? So, I mean, I think it's just a popular name with anything that has blueberry in it or a blueberry smell that yields well. And I think that, like in California, the name change game is so stupid. It's been going on for so long, and people just don't give a shit what they pass out or what they call it as long as it sells, you know? Yeah, and I think that was the major the major impetus behind all these fucked up blue dream crosses. Um, when we did the blue dream reversal, almost they weren't. I wouldn't say they were perfectly uniform or IBL or anything, but they were they were really good. I mean, um, all the phenotypes were fairly uh, predictable, and, and they definitely resembled the mom quite a bit. You could always see a good resemblance to the mom. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so. I mean, the thing which stands out to me above most every other person I've interviewed is music seems to be such an influential part of your life. You know, are they almost mutually yeah. exclusive breeding and music, or does one kind of inspire the other? Or, uh, you know, for me, um, uh, you know, music influenced my life a lot. I was in bands since I was twelve, and like playing shows, punk rock shows, and being in the punk rock scene, and it is just a a wild time in California to be alive and in that it was crazy. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, the era of green day where everything was safe and, you know, kids could get dropped off downtown and it was fun. And no, like you, if you went to punk shows, you knew you were going to get in a fight and it was going to be fucking terrifying, you know? So growing up in that kind of scene, it's, it's hard not to let it influence your life. You know? Uh, yeah. Music's always been a big part of my life and it just somehow ran straight head into this this the whole attitude that i had in the music scene into this because there's a lot of nasty people in in our scene in our cannabis scene and i just i've met them all i've met all of them head first and it sucks <laughs> i'm like a magnet to them so you just have to take that whole i don't give a fuck fuck you you don't like it you know it just worked hand in hand yeah so how did riot seed start then uh it was after the project with james hogg and um you know, we had started talking about doing right seed stuff. I had already started working on the clockwork orange strain. And he had sold a bunch of those seeds. He's like, dude, these are selling really well, the work we did. You know, why don't you start doing some of that? And we had already worked on the clockwork orange strain a bit. And we were passing it out in San Diego to the cancer internally ill patients that actually wanted to grow for themselves. And that's just kind of where it came to be. You know, I just started like, okay, well, I need a name. Well, my band, my, my name and band since I was little was always Matt Riot. So right seeds make sense. And just started from there with the clockwork orange and then spread on out. So like a lot of people, including myself are interested to hear what's the real history behind the clockwork orange. You know, it seems to be really bits and pieces <laughs> here and there online, but there's never the full story. 
Yeah, it, it kind of sucks because I've told the story a bunch, but every time I go look it up or I see it somewhere, it's like all jumbled, you know? Um, so there was a dude named, uh, I just call him Crazy Doug. Like that, nobody called him that but me just because he was fucking crazy and his name was Doug. <laughs> he, he was this weird dude that lived out in the hills of San Diego. He, was, <laughs> he had this big, massive house left to him by his parents, and the whole thing was a grow. I'm talking his bathrooms, every fucking room, his basements, out, so, <laughs> outdoors. And he trained drug dogs for the cops, which was even more weird. Like these germ, evil German shepherd dogs. He'd speak to him in German and train to, to be drug dogs for cops. Well, this dude was also a tweaker. And, like, I mean, he had syringes everywhere. Like, he was out of his fucking mind. Anyway, I met this guy through, I think, Craigslist or something at the time that was going on. And he wanted to trade clones with me. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll come visit you. I had no idea what I was getting headfirst into. So I went out there, I met him, and um, he was an interesting dude, very weird. Um, and he showed me this really, really weird plant that had all these crinkle mutations. He's like, yeah, man, I got this from Amsterdam. Um, this came, it came from a bag of Alaskan ice. Now, Alaskan ice at the time was not a greenhouse strain. It was something they were selling at the coffee shop as bud, but they, it wasn't anything that they had named a strain yet. And, and um, the genetics obviously looked – the high was really sativa. The leaves were, were more narrow. Um, early in veg and then later in veg they got really wide blade uh, drug type like almost looking Afghani but it had this weird crinkle to it and he's like yeah man this is this is this is as strong as the hash from the parents and I was like okay cool I'll, I'll take that cut so I took it ran with it and uh, we started working the line and I was trying to take take the crinkle out of it because it just looked so weird I was like oh people are not going to be into this if we can get the high and the and the smell and the taste, that would be great. But we need to get rid of this crinkle because people think it's ugly. Every time we took a step a step away breeding the crinkle out, the, the, the potency was gone. It just kept creeping away from it. But every time we'd have the phenotype with the crinkle pop up, it was back. So I ended up taking that and just <laughs> having to go basically work backwards from there and trying to remake that original clone that I had from him. And then when we found that, that original clone, or the closest resemblance to that original clone, that's what became Clockwork Orange. But nobody knows what it really is. I mean, since Alaska Nice wasn't a real strain at the time, there wasn't a White Widow haze. There's, it's not a, it's not a White Widow. Um, it's, it's, it's got Afghani, some sort of skunk. Definitely has some haze in it. But to what degree of each and what actual strains are in it? No, I have no clue. Okay. And sorry, just yeah. to confirm, do you breed with the original cut or with the uh, back cross, I think you said you make? Um, the original mother cut, that was the, the crinkle cut, that was used to make the lines that we used to pick the clockwork orange mom out of. Ah, okay, fantastic. Yeah. And so, are any other of those lines being used to breed with currently or just the, the other one? Um, every once in a while, we'll bust out. Um, we made the very first line of S1s of the clockwork orange cut we made a line called Smart Alex. And uh, basically that was like this really super coffee. It, it just smelled like when you open a, uh, a fresh thing of Folgers coffee and smell it. It smelled just like that. It was crazy. And uh, it was more dense than clockwork. It was less resinous but more dense, and it still had a really good potency to it. And that one became known as the Smart Alex. And sometimes we use that cut or S1s of it. You know, uh, It's been hard to keep these alive for a long, long time. They're really, really hard plants to grow. And anybody that asks me for the cut, when they finally get it, I'm like, dude, just just remember, this is a really hard plant to grow. It's not going to respond to you well, and usually everybody gets so mad at it, they'll throw it out eventually. So 
it's kept its rarity because of that. It's just really hard to grow. It took me a long time to master it. Okay. And so is there any reason why you choose not to have uh, the S1s continually in stock? Like, is it something you want to keep kind of a bit more elusive or? You know, it's just hard to do. It's, it's a, it, when it, when I reverse it, it doesn't produce much pollen. Um, I need to reverse the whole room of it to do it. And people complain about the prices of it and I get that it's expensive. So it's like, I, I look at the price that I'd have to, to charge to make it worth doing a whole room of that and getting, you know, only 400 seeds, something like that. Whereas if I do a whole room of some, like a regular line with a regular mail, thousands and thousands of seeds. So it's just, I try to only do it every once in a while to where people still have that interest and willing to pay that because it, if I flooded the market with it and tried charging the same price, it would just, it would be pointless. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of brought up an interesting topic. Um, People have kind of long criticized your pricing. However, nowadays we see the rise of several breeders who routinely charge as much or more than yours, most notably yep. Aficionado. How yeah. do you feel pricing plays into the market? You know, Do you think it's simply supply and demand or is it just haters looking for any excuse? Well, I mean, the way we priced everything, it's the way we've always done it, is on uh, – it really was on supply and demand and, and popularity. If it's something like a lot of people wanted and we had 100 seeds of it, then, you know, I usually say make, make an offer because that's all that's there and that's what that's what we have, you know. And that kind of determined a lot of the prices. Um, I've caught a lot of shit for it, but there's a few reasons for doing it. One, I don't mm, – it's the same reason I don't use testers. I, uh, I don't like necessarily want a bunch of new growers trying to run really hard to grow gear. All that causes is problems, always causes problems. New growers want – you know, tend to, not all of them, but a good amount of them, they want to to make up for their skill by getting a strain they think will just be super dank, and of course everything's going to grow itself. And by having the prices I did, it kept them away, and 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 it kept the rarity up, and for the most part, most of the people that buy from me are breeders. They aren't new growers. So, you know, I see a lot of insults online, but I also sell seeds for 50 bucks a pack on down to 30 bucks a pack. It's just the ones they tend to want are the ones that are the cheapest. <clears throat> yeah, interesting. And so do you feel that seeds are going to continually increase in price? Because, I mean, there's seeds that are currently going in like Instagram auctions for thousands of dollars routinely. Do you think this is a trend that will just continue or do you think it will cap out somewhere? Uh, it depends how stupid the market is. If they're, I mean, a lot of this shit selling for a lot of money is fucking retarded. Like, I mean, <laughs> the aficionado stuff, like, I mean, Mean Jeans made some cool shit, but 99% of that, like, I'm looking at the genetics. It was talking about their OG Kush line being a Pakistani lemon tie, whatever. Like, just the typical line of what people think OG Kush is, and that's not correct. So, obviously, these guys haven't done their fucking homework, and they're charging an ass load for it. Um, but, but as long as the market remains stupid and ignorant to what is what, then sure. I mean, it, the sky's the limit on how much they'll pay. And so what do you think is the real origins of OG Kush? Uh, not that. I mean, it's it's an Afghani sort of plant. Um, it's stretchy, but that doesn't necessarily mean it couldn't be all indica. Um, I, you know, it has a lot of the tide traits, so the, of the happiness of the high, but it's obviously got the density of a Afghani. So it could be something around there, but who knows? Really, who knows? I've, I've heard so many fucking stories that, well, that could make sense, and then... It all ends up being bullshit. So I quit trying to figure it out a long time ago. Okay. <laughs> I, 
digging through your Instagram, I noticed that uh, you received a cutting of Skelly, which is a strain that's popped up on the show before because it was around during the time or a little bit before of the dog bud. What's your opinion yeah. on Skelly? Oh, it's a great plant, man. Um, I had heard of it first before from JJ in New York uh, several years ago, and it was called the Puck. Um, I guess the guy who used to sell it used to put it in like a, a like a, almost like a bubble tape. I don't know. It's an American thing. Um, it's like a bubble gum case, and it was round like a disc, like almost like a hockey puck, and he or like a Copenhagen pack puck looking thing, and he would yeah. sell it in those. So that 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 nickname stuck with it as well. But the skelly hash plant is just like a really dank, stinky Afghani plant. It's really, really good, though. It's very good. That's, what, that's one of those ones that definitely stood the test of time uh, for dankness. Yeah, for sure. And so like, another thing I found digging on Instagram is whenever bubblegum comes up, you're always sure to make sure that people know you're not referring to the Indiana bubblegum. What's the yeah. story behind all of this? Um, you know, we made – I usually didn't point it out too much. We made the original bubblegum cookies line. And ever since I've made that, I've had fucking uh, cookie fam knock it off, say it was this or that, you know. I have a, There's another guy on Instagram, I think he calls himself like Bubblegum Cookie Man or something. <laughs> and he's taking credit for it, saying, yeah, this is the Indiana, and it's not. It's, it's been, like, the Indiana Bubblegum doesn't pass on a lot of pink bubblegum traits. They're slight there in the, in the cut, but it is not by any means, <laughs> you know, something you smell and go, mmm, pink bubblegum, that's fucking sweet, you know? Um well, the cutting we had was from the original 1995 Sensi Star line. We had the seed line that was originally released as a regular line. By 1996, it was cut back to a feminized line, and the regular seeds were very hard to find. But we've we have had a bunch of them. We have two them, and we kept a large stock of them so we could go through them. Uh, in there, there's one phenotype that is like a menthol pink bubblegum line, and it's an amazing breeder, and it passes on that really super pink bubblegum smell and taste, and that's what we used in the line. So, like, I mean, people, they just assume, like, you know, if they want to say this is their line, they're assuming that the Indiana bubblegum was in it. And it's it's just kind of frustrating. It's another one of those things where it's like what the Indiana bubblegum line is and how it breeds. You, you'd never say that in a million years. That's what it was. But it's just, you know, again, people making just stupid claims. Getting used to it. <laughs> so in that same kind of vein... Most of your releases, like you just mentioned with the uh, bubblegum cookies, they they don't seem to be like they're going to be restocked for certain, you know? Like a lot of your strains, seem to, you need to treat them as though they're possibly one-offs. Is that how you view them or yep. do, you, do you make a lot of lines with the intention of restocking them? I never make any lines with the intention of restocking them unless they're special, you know? Uh, we do a lot of our testing in-house. I don't use testers because 99% of the time they don't know what they're doing to even begin to test anything. And they we don't even grow trader so we stop using testers we do all our testing in-house we watch everything ourselves you know we run through all the phenos we're getting we see what we have and we know what we're offering um a lot of the lines unless they're really really good i usually don't bring them back bubblegum cookies we did a version two of uh, i'm just a second generation of it um uh cookie berry which is probably one of our most uh knocked off lines uh it's going around california and clone is blue cookies and all kinds of shit and that's another one cookie fam's taking credit for um we've released another version of that using ogkb instead of the forum cut but i actually do prefer the forum cut cross which is the original one to the version second version so when we do it again we'll probably go back to the original cross and so 
Do you like to specifically list what generations are being used for your projects? Like, if you oh say, yeah, I'm specific. Yeah, so like in a parent, I've noticed. I mean, maybe I'm wrong here, but do you always list? You know that like this isn't. You know, let's just say uh, with the I forget the name of the strain you mentioned earlier. Um, what was it? The that particular S one of the Clockwork Orange, the Lazy Ben was. It? Oh, the Smart Alex. Smart Alex. Smart Alex. I <laughs> was so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Close. Yeah, the, the Smart Alex. You know, do, would do, would you, do you like to write like Smart Alex brackets Clockwork Orange S one, or is it just Smart Alex? Because sometimes I've it's noticed just, there's more work put into the generations says, than you list. Yeah, it's, it's usually if, if like with Smart Alex in that case, it'll say Smart Alex in parentheses Clockwork Orange S one. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So people can like kind of trust what what it's saying on the package. Yeah, pretty specific. Because if I would be the same way, like I want to know exactly what I'm getting and, you know, what's in there. I would hope everybody else would too. So I try to be pretty pretty damn specific with it. And so when you're breeding regular projects, like regular sex projects, not feminized, mm-hmm. what is the numbers you'd ideally like to use for such a project in terms of like finding parents or testing progeny? Uh, for, for our road line, we went through eight years of different Afghani lines and, and um, super skunk lines looking. I mean, I can't even count it. The number of seeds is astronomical, but eight years of constantly every run cracking more and more Afghani seeds and, and super skunk lines to try to find the roadkill line. And that, that was an ideal you know, run on something. That was one of our best ones, and it's been one of the most successful and so but the regular, for regular seed lines, I mean, like, it just depends on what you have to work with. But the one thing that I always, I always make a habit of before I go do any runs through any lines, if I only have a pack of something, I'm going to F2 it and run through those lines. So I have, uh, you know, a multitude of seeds to look through. Yeah, okay. And so, like, um, in the case of the roadkill skunk, which is something that gets brought up in almost every episode, you've got several lines which feature, you know, roadkill skunk traits or from the roadkill Afghani. Um, yeah. how, how would you describe this line? You know, to you, is it a replica or just a homage, something similar? Like, where do you rate it in comparison to the original Roadkill Skunk? Well, the original Roadkill Skunk was not a skunk one line. It was just an Afghani that happened to smell like a skunk, and people called it skunk butt. Um, that often gets confused and confabulated with skunk number one that was released by Sam the Skunk Man, and, you know, and then and taken to Amsterdam, and it, which is like uh, there's a lot of phenotypes that are sweet, there's citrus, there's all kinds of shit, but what you don't get is straight up skunk spray, like like a North American skunk spray, you know, being run over in the road. And um, the, like our roadkill is like that, but it also has another trait that's really strong in old Afghanis, which is burnt rubber, like a burnt rubber tennis ball. Yeah. And then there's some slight ammonia to it too, which is often described as like an acrid and taste. Okay. And so which of those crosses do you feel is the most representative of the roadkill skunk then? I think the, the cross to sourdub, which in, in itself, considering what's out there and what's been out there, is already a pretty skunk line, um, which is why we chose that. Uh, we did a reversed cross with uh, the, the Afghani mom that had the most roadkill traits. And um, we released that as a roadkill Afghani feminized. And then we used a male from the pure Afghani line that we found the roadkill mom in that had the same exact type traits and terps uh, when we reversed him. So we had to test him out first by reversing him using uh, ethereal and florel. 
So we got to see what kind of terpenes he put out well ahead of time before we used any of the males. Okay. So and that was our regular seed line of it. And is that that's the process where you, you reverse the male and get like female sex plants, like, you know, buds and stuff. Is that right? Yeah, it's, I mean, you don't get like full on, like you're not going to get like a female with thick ass buds and stuff, but you will see a lot more resin production. You're going to see some flowers and you'll get a better idea of what terpenes he produces. And I mean, even if he produces those terpenes, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to pass them on. So you at least get the first idea of what's going on and then you have to use them to see if the traits get passed on reliably. Yeah. Okay. And so is that a process you like to do for all regular males or just the, you know, the long processes? Um, yeah, it's something I've been doing more and more often. It's, it's a really valuable tool that was really overlooked for a long time. Um, and now it's becoming more and more popular, I think. I've been talking about it for a few years, and I'm slowly noticing more and more people doing it. And I think that's a good thing because all it can do is advance breeding for everyone, making trait selection easier. Okay. And so what are some of the traits you look for in a male when you're just flowering it out? Leaf serration, structure, things like that. You know, back in the day, I used to look for, I mean, really, it, it, it is a, a shot in the dark, the first the first round with a male. And um, early on, I used to look for a male that was the most like a female, something that I that like I was sure was going to be a female when I was looking at it, you know, and it, right before it showed any sex. And it's like, okay, I don't have to, you know, keep an eye too bad on this one. This is obviously a female, you know, that's what I would look for. But as time went on, I realized, you know, that was still 50-50. That was still hit or miss. Like, it didn't always work, and I'd have to throw out whole lines that I made. So, really, we just keep all of our males, and we just try to find something that has a structure that we like, one that produces resin naturally on its own without having to be reversed. We cross him, and then we see how he does. And that's just, it's, it's a long-ass process, but that's the only reliable way to do it. Yeah. Okay. And so, I mean, you touched on it earlier in terms of uh, the Clockwork Orange only producing a small number of seeds for the whole room to be done. When you're producing female pollen, is that something which just comes down to the individual cut as to how well it responds to that? Or is it really like a methodology-based process where, like, the better you are at it, the more pollen you'll get and things like that? Um, Pollen collection is hard with reversals in the first place. But, um, man, it, it, it goes down to the exact plant. It goes down to the environment the plant's in. Every every last little variable matters with it. Some plants reverse better than others. Some really suck at it. A lot of the really dense indicas are really hard to reverse. Um, just because the the male the male clusters, the, the male parts, they cluster up and get really hard. And they're hard to pick out. I mean, they don't just burst like a regular male. The nuts don't hang, you know, so to speak. Um, so that's, that's something that happens a lot with really dense indicas. So a lot of people like uh, reversing more less dense sativas yeah okay and so do you think being able to get a lot of pollen from such strains would just come down to training the plant to maybe have very few bud sites in so that you could do it or it's just still still more like intricate than that um there's actually certain chemicals you can use to make the the clusters be less dense and we've i've had someone else help me with that and kind of figure out that aspect of it and it was, it's been so helpful in that part because that was always the main problem with reversing a lot of like the OG Kushes and stuff like that and never getting enough seeds. Um, it was just that, that dense formation of, of clustered balls. And it, you, I mean, trying to pull the pollen out, you literally had to go in with tweezers and do it by hand and shake it into a baggie, each little cluster. But now we, we have another chemical that'll stretch it out, make them hang a little bit more, and, and it's much easier to collect. 
So, I mean, even over time, it's getting easier for us to do, and we're developing better methods every every year. Yeah, and so what what strain has been the best one to reverse, in your opinion? You know, your favorite one to work with? Um, Bubba, just the old Bubba Kush. Like for some reason, even though it has dense uh, bud formations, it's always been really reliable. Um, it's always kicked out a lot of pollen. It's just, it's just always been really reliable and really easy to use. And, and and it tends to have amazing progeny. I've never really had a bad bubba reversal or bad bubba crossing. Yeah, that's interesting because bubba is a strain I personally love a lot. What do you think the history on it is? You know, a lot of people say Matt Bubba made it. What's, what do you think? And what do you think the lineage is? You know, I like Matt Bubba a lot. Um, he's got some valid stuff he said with OG. With OG. Sorry, some just fell. He's got a, a valid point. With the uh, with OG Kush, I mean, he's got a lot of documentation with his friend Josh, being one of the original guys that were passing it around. However, Bubba, he was saying I think came around '96, but you can go to a, a High Times magazine in '94 and see Bubba in it. So it's hard to say. I mean, I know that the the Oregon Afghani tends to look a lot, probably closest to Bubba as a mom for Bubba. Um, some people say West Coast dog. I don't know. Um, it's obviously an Afghani of some sort. Yeah, that's interesting because I um, I spoke to Professor P of Dynasty and he, he thinks that the Oregon Afghani is maybe an S1 of Bubba, which is maybe the other way around. That, from and, what you said. Yeah, and that could be, that could be. Um, he's worked with it a lot more than I have, that's for sure. He would know. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, the West Coast dog is another thing you brought up. That's interesting. Seed Finder has quite a long-winded story about, you know, contrary to the Matt Bubba story, explaining how they think that's the Bubba. Do you put any credit to that, or do you think it's all just kind of Chinese whispers? Uh, you know, the, the West Coast dog gained a lot of popularity um, with a, guy, a group of guys called the Brothel Brothers, and they were some uh, con men cocksuckers. <laughs> and they, they've had, like, a few different names that they've used over the years. Uh They've used trichome kings and screwed over a bunch of people on that. Oh, um, Sierra guys. Seeds. Yeah, it's those guys. Sierra Seeds, um, Brothel Brothers, they've used all those names. And it seems to be that the West Coast dog originates with those guys. The story, the strain, everything comes from those guys. And so what's it like to you, though? Do you see any traits of the bubber in it? Um, yeah, you know, I, I would say, I would probably guess, if anything, it's like a, a, a bubba hybrid with some sort of narrow leaf sativa type plant okay interesting something something fruity keeping on the topic of history i saw in a i think it was either an instagram post or on a forum somewhere you were dropping some knowledge about dr grinspoon and the uh the origin oh of yeah it. it's a very hotly contested strain you know what do you know about it um the first time i heard about that strain it was called quays uh ed from delta nine sent it to me and it was just a clone-only strain. Um, I don't think much was known about its its history other than it probably was a Southeast Asian of some sort. So whether it was Thai, Filipino, it was something from Southeast Asia. And that, that clone, that like a lot of the pictures you'll see on the Sensi Seed site, if you look into uh, to Quay's clone-only, that's what the pictures were of. And uh, Barney's Farm got a cut of it, reversed it, sold it as Dr. Grinspoon. And that was it. Yeah, interesting because online on that same Seed Finder website, they say that it's um, a reefer man strain. I forget the name of it. Oh, good lord! <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not that. It was uh, the Oregon blueberry no. tie crossed to something, but anyway, the Oregon purple tie. Yeah, no, reefer man's a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> I, you know, fired. I, me and me and yeah, sorry. Uh, 
me and Neville were working together for a little bit, Neville Schoenmaker, and Reefer Man somehow got in the middle of it and started getting Neville to try to send me, or me to try to send cuts to him through Neville. And, you know, like, I'd already, he had already fucked over so many of my friends in America, and I was like, you know, dude, you probably don't want to talk to this guy. I don't really want to send him anything. He's kind of a piece of shit. And uh, Neville insisted. He's like, no, man. I say he's good, so, you know, if you're my friend, you'll send him this shit. So what's he do? He fucks me over there, too. But, you know, he's, he's notorious for that. He's just a scumbag, uh, ex-white power Nazi guy that just kind of hides out being a piece of shit and, and makes his resurgence every now and then. Um, he makes a lot of claims himself. I don't know if Seedfinder made that claim. He made that claim, but either way, it's incorrect. Definitely incorrect. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've been working with the what you say is the original Girl Scout cookie clone for a while. What is the original yep. Girl Scout cookie clone? Because even Cookie Fam can't really tell you. Yeah, no, the original the, before the forum cut was called the forum cut. It was just Girl Scout cookies, and that was it. That's it. Everybody oh, okay. wants to argue over it. That's just it. That's that was the first one that's being passed around as Girl Scout cookies. And as more people got their hands on it, they started calling it the forum cut to try to say, oh, well, that one's not as cool as this one we have over here, you know? Yeah, okay. And so do you think that, uh, like, most of the other cuts are S1s from the forum cut or other seeds that the forum cut originally came from, like that same batch or...? Well, I mean, you can get, like, a forum cut type plant from reversing cherry pie kush. So, I mean, it, they could be more S1s of Cherry Pie Kush. They could be S1s of the Forum. They could also be um, Urkel OG hybrids because that kicks out the same exact type of phenotypes. So, God only knows. Uh, I see the most common being the OG KB type coming out of Urkel and OG hybrids. So, I mean, yeah. Okay. And, I mean, one of the reasons why we're on this topic is because one of your new strains coming out is the F1 Durban cross Dosi Doe. Yes. What inspired this, and how did you get access to the elusive F1 Durban? Now, that strain's been going around for fucking ever. It's just always been known as Mendo Durban. Um, It looks a lot like Cherry Pie, uh, the original, you know. Um, It was never that rare. It's just only been rare since they've called it F1 Durb or whatever, but it's been around forever. It's it's not even a pure Durban in in any sense of the word. It's a very Indica Dom, which a real pure Durban is very Sativa Dom. Um, it has a little bit of that anise, like, mm, what's it called, uh, uh, black licorice to it. Not much, just a hint. Um, but yeah, that clone's been around forever. Yeah, okay. And so what do you think are the uh, the real origins of the Girl Scouts? You hinted before, the Cherry Pious one, maybe? Yeah, I mean, you can make, like, a, you can make Girl Scout cookies out of OG, any a really old OG, like Lumpus Headband or... Uh, San Fernando Valley, the real San Fernando Valley cut or face off, any of those you can use and cross to the old Urkel cut and you'll get all the same. I mean, there's a lot of phenotypes that come out of that cross, but you will see cookies type phenotypes coming out of just those two strains. Now, F1 Durb might be in it, as they call it, you know, the Mendo Durbin, um, because Cherry Pie does look a lot like the Mendo Durbin. And it could just be that Cherry Pie is the, you know, the like a granddaddy purple, which is also an Urkel phenotype or, or an Urkel outcross. Uh, it could be GDP, OG, and that. And that would make sense. I mean, you could per- potentially pull that out of that. That's that's the best that I got on that. Okay. And so, I mean, your work kind of in contrast to a lot of other breeders is you clearly don't seem to have a problem breeding with cookies. What what do you feel nope, on this never trend? Have. You know, do, you, do you dislike kind of the hate that cookies get or you don't mind, you're not bothered by it? How do you feel by it all given, you know, you do breed with it a lot? You know, I, I was the first one to release any seeds of it, 
um, any any strains of it um, in seed. And that was a long time ago, a long time ago. It's like what five six years ago now. I so I give a shit anymore. I mean, <laughs> when I was doing it, no one else was using it, and nobody really wanted to buy it because nobody knew what it was. And by the time I sold out of it, that's when people just started getting popular. So I missed that whole cookies wave for the most part. I mean, I'll use it every now and then now, but it's definitely not like a main staple of anything I do. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It, 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 has, it has its place. It's not that potent. I mean, um, the OGKB types are and their outcrosses are, but that particular one wasn't. Yeah, okay. And so I don't know if you're aware, but there's currently like a bit of an ongoing discussion um, maybe slightly aggressive um, between uh, Gage Green and Cookie Fam, kind of over the origins of the cookies. You know, Gage Green is saying that they believe that uh, the cherry pie Kush is the parent of the of the cookies, and it's probably S ones of that. Have you seen any of this at all? Slash, you know, how how do you think about that? Have you ever seen the cherry pie Kush? Uh, you know, I don't. With, as far as Gage Green goes, that's a pretty. Um, that's a pretty uh, – everybody knows that I hate that motherfucker. It's, it's not specifically the, all the guys in it, but the original guy, he goes by Keyplay. Um, he was the first one to use the name Gage Green. He lied and cheated his way through all of our business. He did it to me, Lumpa, a guy named Old Hand, a bunch of people, and he's, he's made his whole, his whole campaign on just stabbing everyone in the back that helped him out along the way. Um, even Jojo Rizzo was supposed to be one of his friends that he's named strains after after uh he traded him heroin for his seed stock i mean that's what killed him so mm. yeah I, I i have nothing that anytime that guy talks i just open my fucking eyes and hope i don't see him in person well i mean interestingly enough there seems to be a lot of info online which you know indicates that you guys argue over the origins of the purple elephant slash you know the grape stomper how do you feel about that, or you know, where where do you see it? Was it just them who made the grape stomper, or was it Jojo? Or Jojo made it. It was originally called Sour Grapes. He passed it out to a bunch of people, but he never sold it. Um, he had a specific clone that he liked, and that that was the Sour Grapes mom. Um, that was passed out to all of us. That was also given to Gage, who was supposed to be his friend. And Gage went and sold it to Blue Sky Cafe as Sour Grapes, and then he started getting mad and said, "I kind of like the name Grape Stomper better," and that's what he made the seed line as. Okay, but Gage has nothing to do with the actual genesis of the strain. He just hijacks someone else's. Same with his blackberry pie, and that was JoJo's. There's countless other shits he's done that with, so it's nothing new. And so, do you feel like it's a interesting situation that you guys, you know, like both breed with the same cup, but there's this kind of animosity between the two? Because the reason I bring it up is there's kind of like a reincarnation of that right now between a Gromer and Seed Junkie where more or less, you know, Gromer's probably going to breed with some of Seed Junkie's seeds even though Seed Junkie's made it somewhat obvious he would not like that. You know, do you feel like there's almost some parallels between that and you engage with the Stomper? Who are they? I don't think I've ever heard of them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, no, um, I don't know. They're nobodies to me. They're, they're new. Um, fuck them. Yeah, okay. So I guess maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe the way I should have phrased the question is do you do you think that your rights over a seed line um uh kind of whatever you want to do with it as soon as you acquire them or do you believe like you know you should respect the creator's wishes or something like that or is it like no, nah, it's yours, you've got it. Well, the problem is the creator's been passed um for a long time. Uh yeah, so, maybe just in general, like with any safe seed line. I mean, you know, like if, if the people aren't, if, if a breeder isn't currently making the seed line, he's not making the money off it, and he doesn't have any plans to come back, 
then I would say as long as you credit them properly and you've done your research, then then that's fine and dandy. Um, but if you're going and like f twoing people's seed lines, like and just changing the name, that's really just a big slap in the face. You can't do that in any other industry, and you shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And so. Yeah. Similarly, we've seen um, a bit of an argument between, I don't know if I say an argument, a feud between Mello from the Nature Farm and yourself between these uh, the discrepancies in the roadkill lines. What's your take in this? His line is phenotypically seems different to yours. I don't, I don't know who he is. I don't think. Do I? Have I said something to him? I might have said something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Fuck, it, he, he could join he, the fucking club. Yeah, I, I've just noticed whenever he po- whenever he posts photos of his uh his roadkill line he's working on, he he makes oh, sure. Oh, is that the dude who says like Skunk IBL sixty nine? That guy? Yeah, yeah, man. Oh, th- yeah. I mean, saying that, that he has a skunk from nineteen sixty nine that is like that is the most fucking asinine shit I've ever heard. It, it takes all it takes is like ten minutes of research to realize. Oh wait, there weren't really many Afghani's coming into the U.S. in nineteen sixty nine, nor were they being harvested. For their own shit in Afghanistan, they were still importing Indian sativa plants for hash. So that claim was fucking just stupid. It just, it just <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And it's not an IBL. If there's more than one phenotype, it's not a fucking IBL. Uh, IBL denotes uniformity. And, and, and when I see people use that, it makes me roll my fucking eyes. So he just had a bunch of eye fucking rolls. That's it. Yeah. Okay. And so I mean, if we get back to say maybe riot seeds, one of you know, many strains, one, for example, called Blood Rose, um, you credit mm-hmm. as being created by a colleague, Skunko, as well yes. as having, you know, other colleagues like Flip. Do you consider Riot Seeds to be you as an individual, like a one-man operation or more of like an umbrella for kind of, you know, you and your friends? Um, it's, do you know, there's been so many people that had a part in my company. There were times when I, like, I, I just lost a lot of, um, you know, I want to do anything in this business just from just being jaded by all the fuckheads. And there were a lot of times other people picked up and ran with my company and kept it going. There's a guy named 46 and two, like he took a lot of the work that I had and he kept it going out there or kept passing it out, kept making sure everything was going while I was gone. Um, there's a guy named racer X. He did the same thing and he's, he's helped out probably more than anyone else. Um, uh, uh, Skunko, he made two lines for us, and he's a, he's an amazing guy. He just, you know, he's a wonderful guy too. There's been so many people that are part of our our organization, and most of them are the same kind of guys. Are just <laughs> just people who don't give a shit about what people have to say. And so, the uh, this has actually been a question we got asked a lot from people. Um, the Piff S1 seeds. What's the go? When are they coming? Uh, oh, the Piff. I made those years ago, but I, I wasn't allowed to do the S1s. Um, the guy I got it from was a bouncer for the Dominicans in New York, uh, a guy named Doggy Style D79, and he's been around the forums forever. Um, he passed me the PIF lines. There was one line called H1, one line called H2. The H1 was like the frankincense type line. H2 was more like a mango haze type line, something similar to that you'd see from Shanty with his mango haze. And uh, all I was told was, you know, you can make as many hybrids with this as you want. Just don't S1 it. Don't release it pure. That's it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, there's a few people holding out for it. So, similarly, another strain that caught my eye was the P91. Yeah, that's another um, San Diego strain. Yeah, so what's the history behind that, and how come no one else seems to breed with it? Um, that strain's been gone for a long time. Only a few people, including the breeder, have kept it. Uh, it's hard to find. There's like a P91 skunk line that gets passed around, but for the most part, 
that line was really hard. I searched for it for 10 years before I got a legit cut from the breeder, and that was hard. Um, it's supposed to be, according to him, a silverback tie cross to Northern Lights, I want to say. But there's really not a lot of tie traits other than it being very, very bushy. It's a very, very bushy plant. But it's called P91 because it's peanut buttery, so for peanut, and 91 because it was made in 1991. Okay, interesting. And do you plan to make any S1s with it again? Um, you know, the cut is very old. It wasn't kept very well. It's one of those things that, like, I'd like to tissue culture first and then go ahead and give it another run at S1s. I just really wasn't really happy with the uniformity of it. It was hard to find a lot of really super peanutty phenotypes. The line could be S1'd a few times to get some uniformity to make sure that's more reliable. Yeah, okay. And so the Neon Skunk is uh, one of the parents you use, you know, created by Sonny Chiba that not a lot of other oh, yeah. people use. What are the characteristics about it that you like? And how come, again, you don't think many other people use it? It seems like a, you know, a hidden gem. Wait, which which one from Sonny? The Neon Super Skunk. Oh, um, you know, that was just... That I, I mostly used it because I was trying... To, at the time, I was trying to find really good black Russian strains. And um, uh, early on, Sonny was one of the few people... That was really like amazing to me, and this is before he left for a long time and kind of disappeared after the TGA thing. Um, he was one of the few people I could talk to about breeding purples. Him and a guy named Nibu, I, I, I personally think, are responsible for uh, so many of the purple purple work out there and pink work. I mean, I, I couldn't have done it without them. There'd be no, I'd have none of my purple and pink work. And a lot of people attribute, you know, a lot of my work to being some some of the the most prolific purple and pink work. But I, I attribute all that to those two. Um, the Neon Super Skunk was a Black Russian line, and at the time, Black Russian was really hard to find, and that was Nibu's Black Russian. It's a Cherry AK crossed to the Oregon Blackberry. Um, Oregon Blackberry is a purple Pakistani Chitrali, and at the time, that was a lot harder to find. Um, nowadays, uh, Pakistani Chitrali, the purple pheno, is everywhere. But at the time, it was really hard to find. So, uh, you know, I, the only reason I worked with the Neon Super Skunk was just because of the Black Russian. It wasn't so much because of the Super Skunk. Um, but it, it's it, all in all, it was an amazing line. Okay. And how do you feel about people kind of, there's, you know, certainly seems to be a rise in popularity of people wanting to go back to those more raw, land racy, unworked type stuff, you know? Do you feel like this is a well-spent effort or maybe a waste of time? Uh, it just depends on who's doing the work. I mean, any shithead could fuck something up that's nice, you know? Um I don't know. It just depends on who's doing the work. A lot of people I see are trying to play with stuff like that, and that, that's fine and dandy, but if they don't know how it breeds or how it crosses, they don't understand what they're doing with it, they don't really have a direction, they're just making crosses to make crosses, you're, you're just shooting in the dark, and, and it's going to be a lot of work for everyone else. So do you ever think that we'll have, you know, like another strain emerge that just totally takes over the market, maybe similar to how Skunk or Northern Lights did when they were first released? Or Yeah, I mean... OG Kush. OG Kush was one that absolutely took over the market, and it's a staple now, just as much as any skunk or anything else. Um, you know, and, and there's going to be more. I mean, Cookies Cookies has made quite a stamp on it, and even though it's not that whole, wholly different from an Urkel or an OG, it still has made its mark, um, and there's going to be plenty more to come. I mean, there's still a lot of lines a lot of us are digging up and just playing with. Like, we have a, a Senegalese line from Africa that has, like, a, a, distinct, a distinctive lychee smell, which is not a terpene you find in cannabis anywhere, and, and it's very specific to that. And it also is a, a, a land race sativa or heirloom sativa, more, more correctly, um, that is really resinous, and you don't see that a lot. So, I mean, I, there's a lot of strains out there that are going to 
be able to bring a lot more uniqueness and to our lines. Okay, and so what do you think about the idea of uh, breeding for terpenes specifically, or and then like maybe a follow up to that is, do you think it's possible for cannabis to create literally any smell with its terpenes? Mm, that's a hard question. Um, I don't even think anybody knows the answer to that truly, if we can make any smell or any taste, because I know that there's a lot missing from the palate. But I, 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 I mean, eventually, if you have enough colors you, you know, in your arsenal, you could paint any picture. So I, I assume that eventually we'll get there. Um, breeding for terpenes, I mean, we did that with uh, the blueberry line that we work, that we call Riot Berry. And trying to find that original blueberry that is just completely blueberry, no skunk, uh, that was a really hard, hard thing to do. Uh, I mean, we spent thousands and thousands on blue, different blueberry lines from DJ Short. I mean, all of it probably descends from DJ Short's work originally, but like going to the Canadian blueberries um, from DJ's work with Singer Matha, DJ's work with Dutch Fashion. They're all different levels of blueberry, but none of them were really kicking out that heavy-duty blueberry smell and bred reliably and, you know, outcrossed that blueberry smell and the purple traits. So, I mean, that's a, that's a good example of terpene work that, that took a long time and was and definitely worth it in the end. And so how do you feel about the whole kind of craze with terpenes at the moment? You know, you see people getting concentrates and just drowning it in liquid terpenes and stuff. Do you think it's a phase or it's, it's the next step? I don't know. I mean, I don't, it looks kind of crackheady to me, but um, whatever. I mean... I, people are going to always do the weirdest shit they can do with it and try to try to create new fads with it. Um, terpenes definitely have their place. I mean, when when I was watching a lot of the BHO being made uh, originally when it was happening in Southern California, you were missing out on a lot of the terpenes, and the high was so different, it was so speedy, and it was it was very predictably speedy with any strain. So I mean, obviously they play a big part in the high. Um, I think the newest thing is going to be paying more attention to the flavonoids as well as the terpenes, uh, the flavonoids have been really ignored. And I think that's just another thing that just has another major impact on it. Okay. And so, I mean, what is your opinion on kind of dabbing versus flowers? Where do you sit on the spectrum? Like, And just as a follow-up, I had a friend who kind of described America as now a, a country of dabbers and not flower smokers. You know, do you feel that's the truth? Um, I, I, hate, I hate to admit it, but yeah, I mean, like I, I myself... I would. I don't like dabbing. Um, not that I didn't do it for a long time, but it really fucked up my lungs. There's, <laughs> there's too many shitheads doing it that don't. Know, again, like everything else in the business, a lot of shitheads doing it that don't know what the fuck they're doing, and they can hurt a lot of people, and they can hurt their lungs. They can make them sick. Um, not everyone's getting their shit tested, obviously, and not all the tests are reliable. So, mm, um, flowers tend to have the more complete high and uh, more terpene content. So. To me, that would make the most sense. But, I mean, I guess it's all on the preference of the person, what it does for them. Cannabis is an individual experience. The high is always an individual experience. No two highs are the same for each person. So it's just really what it's – that's what it boils down to. Me, I flowers any day. And so how do you feel about the rise in testing? You know, Oregon seems to – sorry, when I say that, I mean like pesticide and residue testing, things like that, because Oregon seems to be leading the way. Do you think it's just going to keep getting more and more stringent or we're kind of at a good spot? It's hard to say. I mean, the more we let government into shit, the more fucked up everything gets. But um, at the same time, less stuff like that's necessary. People are going to get hurt if not. Uh, but no, I mean, as, as uh, more chemicals are being made – you know, it's getting easier for people to try to sneak by stuff, so testing's going to have to get better. You know, it's just, it's part of it, I guess. Necessary evil. Yeah, okay. And so, 
you know, it seems like the cannabis industry used to be very much against feminized seeds, and there's still a lot of skepticism out there. But I feel like there is a slowly changing trend as more and more mainstream breeders seem to be incorporating feminized into their projects who were, you know, in the past just regular only. Do you think this is a changing trend within the community or just maybe like a short-term kind of change from the norm? Um, you know, it was, what's funny is a lot of the people that were dissenters maybe five years ago are now buying my spray that I make to make their feminized lines. And, um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe people are getting more educated finally on it. I, I, for years, I've been screaming my head off showing the science behind it and why, like, saying this or that applies to feminized seeds really isn't correct. I mean, even using the term feminized is kind of stupid because there's no way you can guarantee any kind of sex on any plant because environment determines – you know, at least at least thirty to forty percent of what that plant's sexual characteristics are going to be. So the term feminized really isn't even that good of a term. I, I always use reverse lines just so it doesn't give that connotation, and people don't have expectations that are outside of reality. But um, there were a lot of people that you know were against it for one reason or another, or just what they had heard. And like I said, a lot of those people now are buying the the spray from me and using it and creating lines. So. I think it's probably, I mean, the science is there. So if people keep reading it, they'll get it. And so what do you feel about the idea of doing like, and I'm not even sure if this is the correct terminology, but like S2s and S3s, you know, like making S1s of S1s. Do you feel like that's going down a shaky path or it's fine as long as selection's good? As long as the selection's good, as long as the line's good. I mean, just run the progeny and then, yeah, I mean, a lot of lines, a lot of lines are, you know... um, I guess I would call them like S1R or, or F1R, F1 reversals, F2 reversals, things like that. That's usually how we denote it. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of like if you use a shitty line and you keep crossing it out, even if it's a regular line, you're going to get shit. Same thing with S1s. If you keep reversing a plant that kind of sucks and has some shitty traits, it's just going to get more and more obvious as you go on. And so have you ever seen a plant come from an s1 that was better than the parent because i kind of looked oh, yeah. into that i couldn't couldn't see an obvious you know well-known clone only that was like you know s1 that was better than the parent um ogkb probably i mean if, if that is uh, an s1 of the forum i would say that's a perfect example of it okay yeah because the interesting thing around that is i think the guy who found that one claims that it was from the same seed stock as like the original Girl Scout cookies, like you know, like they that the forum cut would be a sister, so to speak. Yeah, and that would make it an S one or something because it was uh, yeah, that one. yeah. So yeah, I mean, it would be an, yeah, I mean, same kind of thing. Um, the I when I reversed uh, Bubba, and we did a large population, there was one phenotype in it that was a narrow leafed type Bubba plant, and it had big um, apical buds. It's just one main Mary stem, you know. And um, as opposed to being a short, squat little plant, it had it was tall and had big colas, and it smelled like bubba, tasted like bubba, but the high was so much more complex, lasted longer, and in general, everybody seemed to prefer way over the original bubba, and everybody that I know loves the original bubba. Um, that's another example of an S1 that's just, in my opinion, just outweighed the parent by leaps and bounds. Oh, fantastic. So, I mean, yeah. do you think we'll ever see any more Platinum Banana OG S ones? Uh, that's that's another good example. Um, the original Platinum Banana OG was a great line. Um, but there are S1s that came out that were just phenomenal, even better than the mother. Um, so if I do it, I may take one of the S1s as opposed to the mother and use one of them because 
they had, like some of those were just absolutely beautiful. The black, the more black colored ones that were just had resin caked on it and, and smelled and tasted like banana Laffy Taffy. Um, so yeah, if I release it again, I may, I may release the original mom S ones, but I'll definitely do, uh, uh, an S1 reversal as well. Fantastic. So, I mean, in some of your previous work, you've worked with some of the more raw land racy type stuff we've spoken about earlier. I think, uh, one of them I saw was the Chemdog Colombian gold hybrid you did. Do you yep. think that, um, these are good breeding tools, so to speak, or they can just kind of make things harder to work with, you know, do you think it'll be an ongoing trend in the future to work with, you know, like a new school meets old school hybrid? Well, that one specifically, um, was work Lumpa had done originally and he brought it down to about 16 weeks, the hybrid. And then we, uh, ran an F2 selection and brought it down to 10 to 14 weeks. We even had 10 week phenos. And honestly, that was one of my favorite lines, uh, during those years that I ever worked with and worked. Um, but it didn't sell. People had zero fucking interest in it. It wasn't OG Kush at the time. Chem Dog D was not in that big a demand. Uh, 91 Chem has always been in big demand, but at the time, Chem Dog D just really wasn't that big of a deal. But now, you know, people know about Star Dog, and they know that that's you know from the D line. So a lot of people, more more people, have been wanting it over the past few years, and that shit's long gone now. So, um, but that tends to be the the trait. I mean, it takes people a while to catch up to what a lot of breeders are working with it takes several years for them to start getting hip to land race work and what's good yeah i mean what's your opinion on the chem dog family as such you know it's a very popular discussion topic on our show my favorite's jeezel um jeez diesel it's the mass super skunk cross to the chem dog d it's not one of the original uh seeds from the chem dog line that greg had but it's good you know it's one of my favorites i think it because if you s1 the Jeezel, you can actually see each one of those phenotypes of the Chem 91. You can see the D, you can see the 4, you can see the sister, all in those reversals of just the Jeezel because it's because it's so strong with the mass super skunk parent. It's actually very similar in, in uh, high smell and looks to the mass super skunk. Um, yeah, that's, that's why it's one of my favorites. But of the original line, uh, oh, I really liked 4, but I mean... Some people prefer the D for the high. I just didn't like Chem Dog D because it smelled like baby shit, and it just made me really disgusted. Like in mid-flower, it just has this awful fecal baby shit runny smell. <laughs> and that was pretty disgusting and foul. Yeah. Okay. So what's your take on naming strains? You know, And the reason why I ask is because I feel like I can kind of spot your name sometimes of the strain. However, <laughs> the thing is, though, you don't seem to go by, like, you know, the standard nomenclature where it's like, you know, blueberry cross to OG, call it blue OG or whatever, you know. What's your approach to naming strains? And how do you feel about that whole nomenclature I mentioned where, you know, people are just kind of ramming two names together? Um, you know, like early on, I would do that. That was like the top popular nomenclature. Um, that was what people did. Like if it was a blue haze, you call it blue haze. You know, um, if it was a blueberry bubblegum, it was bubbleberry. But um, I don't know. I don't know how I come up with any of the names I do. A lot of them are just fucking pull out my ass or it's a punk rock band's name. Or, I don't know. I, I have, there's, I'm reckless with naming. I've made a lot of stupid names, stuff that I don't like and I don't keep in the end. And some stuff that I just keep because I'm too lazy. And even though it sucks... But I, I have learned that uh, sometimes a name is everything when it comes to a strain. So I probably should pay more attention to it. I just don't care on that part. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes down to it, I just don't care. Yeah, okay. And so 
We don't routinely, at least, or ever see you attend cannabis cups or events like that, you know? Do you just avoid them because of kind of, you know, all the previous interactions with people or you just don't see the real value in going to them? No, I've gone, like, to the ones in Denver um, the first few years. I went to the ADSI Cup when I went that year. I don't ever have trouble with anyone because people are fucking – usually I'll talk online and pussies in, the, in person, but um, – I don't like high times. They're fucking assholes. Uh, that's why I call them high crimes because all they are is one big long fucking advertisement for bullshit. Uh, so I don't really have any purpose of going to their cups and giving them money. Uh, there's other cups like the Emerald Cup and stuff. I didn't go this year just because I was dealing with a lot of chaos. Uh, same thing the year before, but uh, Bodie always tries to get me to go to those with him. And it's just that's the only reason I haven't. It's just because it's usually life shit going on at the time. But other cups, I don't know. I just don't care i guess a lot of people that go enter those are a lot of the newbie shitheads that are trying to prove something you've already been there done that and don't care i don't need an award to satisfy my ego yeah okay and so i think you know what's one of maybe the most unexpected friendship in the industry being yourself and bodhi (laughs) a lot lot of our listeners really really dig bodhi i'm sure they'd be interested how did you meet him and you know develop this friendship over time Oh, um, wow. Me and Bodhi, how do we meet? I mean, we were just both making seeds at the same time. He was doing it before I was even. Um, I don't know. Uh, we've just always kind of gotten along really well. He's obviously like my polar opposite. He's very quiet, very reserved, super nice, never has anything negative to say about anyone ever. Um, he's really sweet. Me and him, when we talk, we don't even really talk about cannabis that much. Uh, he has a pretty good knowledge of punk rock history and vinyl, so we get along talking about that. I don't know. It's just one of those things where we are polar opposites, but we totally get along. Just It's a really weird pairing. And same with Loompa. Loompa is very much like Bodhi, very calm, quiet, reserved. Um, just one of those things, you know. They get me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Somehow. Y- ying to the yang. Yep, it is. So and, and when yeah. and, and and when people attack them, they'll just back down because they're nice and they don't care to get into it, and I'll just rip into people. So it just kind of works out. <laughs> and so, would you ever see yourself doing a collaboration with either them or just other breeders? You you know, you thought positively of. Well, I mean, I've done collaborations with Lumpa earlier last year. We were going to do a seed bank together, but just a lot of stuff happened with his company and someone trying to screw him over. Um, really bad. And so that kind of got put on hold for a while. Um, me and Bodie do do a lot of stuff together, but it's more like passing clones back and forth. And then we'll work with each other's cuts. Like I work with this purple unicorn cut. And I think I'm the only person that works with that specific cut. And it's pretty amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's some of JoJo's work across the uh, chem dog D. Um, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty much how we've done. And I give him a lot of my land race lines that I collect over the years that, cause I don't have a lot of outdoor space. So I just give them to him to run. And would you ever be interested in, you know, going and doing the, you know, machete in one hand, hacking through Amazonian jungles to get your own land race? Or are you not really interested in that? No, I'd love to. It's just, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have that ability to just walk away from my plants and leave them and trust someone to, to take care of them. I'm really, really paranoid about that. So I don't really do that. I don't leave a whole lot to go on big adventures. Uh, yeah, that would <laughs> be putting my company at risk. And that's just kind of, I don't know. Yeah, okay. So what But it would of, be nice. What plan have you had for the longest? Um 
Well, we had the Clockwork Orange Mom the longest, I would have to say. That, that's probably the one that survived the longest. Um, not the original one from Doug, but the because that wasn't called Clockwork Orange. That was just an Alaskan ice plant of some sort. But the one that became known as Clockwork Orange, that one stayed the longest. And that's that's not through any um, awesomeness of my own. I've, I've passed it to other people and had to get it back from them. And I've been very fortunate that the people I've passed it to have gotten, gotten her back to me. Okay, fantastic. And I mean, I guess you maybe answered it indirectly, but you no longer hang on to that original Alaskan ice plant? No, no. We lost that early, early on um, after we made some of the first rounds of seeds with it, trying to uh, get rid of that crinkle phenotype because we thought, oh, that's pretty ugly. There's no real reason to keep the mom. Now that we have the seeds, we can pick a better phenotype that doesn't have that crinkle. And that just wasn't the case. So for some reason, the crinkle goes hand in hand with the potency. Okay, interesting. And so how do you feel about the whole organics versus synthetics? You know, like where do you sit in the growing spectrum? Um. I use what I got. I mean, any to me, it's it, it's like you know, some people are diehard organic, some people are diehard TLO. Like my buddy, the Rev, like he's the T. I think he's like the TLO master. I really do, and he's he knows what he's talking about. He's taught so many people. Um, I I'm sponsored by Botanicare and a few other people, and obviously, uh, you know, there's some synthetics in the lines, but. I, I, I don't even care if it's a bottle of N, a bottle of P, and a bottle of K. I can make it work, and that's just what it is. I mean, whether it's organic or inorganic, I can look at the plant. I know what it needs, and that's the way every grower should be, I think. Uh, but no matter what they use, they should just be able to look at the plant, know exactly what the plant needs, not overfeed, and just uh, you know feed according to, to what the plant desires. So I don't know. That's about where I stand on it. I'm pretty indifferent. Yeah, I mean, so like – do you do you find that you can get a pretty consistent product from either or, or is there one method that yeah. you just personally kind of prefer? No, I mean, I, I I cross both boundaries, like just depending on what I'm using, I usually use some organic stuff and inorganic. So, I mean, but I mean, as long as you know your plant, you know what it wants, usually you'll get the same standard, uh, <laughs> the same standard buds as long as your environment's pretty stable other than the feeding. Yeah, okay. So what do you think's the future of growing then, you know, like we've seen some pretty major innovations in terms of, you know, like mammoth pea was like kind of something people might list or even say looking at lighting technology like Gavita. What do you think are some of the new things that are going to roll onto the scene in the next couple of years that might be game changers? Well, I mean, I think, I think big pharma coming in, sweeping through California, getting the lobbyists to pass the laws here and fuck all the growers. I think that's probably the biggest game changer because I think a lot of us that are that are pioneers in the business are going to get screwed out of our companies and um, out of our careers. That would probably be the biggest game changer because that'd be a defeat for a lot of people who have been fighting since the '60s, long before I was involved, uh, to to get this legal correctly. Yeah. But as far as technology, I mean, I mean, Gavita um, and the double-ended bulb have, have have made huge leaps and bounds i mean i use solistex uh double-ended stuff and it's been it's phenomenal it's it's night and day compared to just the normal hps or metal halide i I love it yeah okay fantastic and so where does cbd fit into right seeds you know like i don't think we've seen many or even any cbd strains from you guys is it something you want to do um yeah we've we've released a few cbd lines but the, the, the thing i've had a hard problem doing is when i when i make cbd lines i don't like to charge a lot for them but they cost just as much to produce, and I'm not—I'm not a big operation. I'm not some massive fucking world, you know, multi-warehouse operation where I can just, you know, afford to take big hits on one and then charge a bunch for another. Um, CBD work, it, there's—it benefits so many people. A lot of them children, a lot of people with Alzheimer's, 
a lot you know kids with seizures so it's really really hard for me to even charge anything let alone a small amount for them and so i just try to do small projects enough to where i keep enough in stock to be able to give it away when i want or you know if someone doesn't necessarily have an ailment but just want to try it they can buy it yeah okay and so i mean how do you feel about the whole thc to cbd ratio then you know do you think that there's an optimum ratio or, you know, just pure CBD is best in terms of like, you know, the medical properties of cannabis, so to speak. I think, I genuinely think that's, that's, that depends on the individual. I mean, uh, uh, cannabis, even, even in its medical aspects is a, is an individual experience. Um, you'll see some people saying, you know, the THC helps a lot of their cancer, their, their, their cancerous, um, uh, any, anything to their responses they're having to the medicine that are negative. Um, but again, some people say, you know, oh, it's only the CBD stuff that helps me. That helps my pain. Well, a lot of people are only helped by THC from pain. So, I mean, really like in generally speaking, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's all an individual experience. Some, some people are more helped by a high THC to CBD ratio. Some people are more helped by a higher CBD to THC ratio and some are helped more by that even one. It's, it's just so hard to say. It's so open. And I don't think until the science is ready to show what what body chemistry works with what best then that we'll ever know yeah okay some all an individual type thing yep okay so i mean you mentioned earlier you're good friends with the rev you seem to get featured in skunk a lot is there any particular relationship with him you have is that just a thing where you he thinks you've got good strains and therefore you know it gets featured or is it more of like a business type deal where he's being paid for well, we've never paid for anything with them. Um, they, they, Skunk is one of the few magazines that I've been I've I've been really really vocal about liking because one they've never asked me for a dime, never, ever, never have asked me for a dime. They don't ask me for anything. Um, they feature everyone that's in there is featured on merit. It's not because they're paying for ads. It's not because they're doing this or that like high times. They're not paying for parties for high time shit. They're not paying for awards. They're in there on merit. They're the ones making the waves in the industry. And um, the Revs, I've, I've gotten along with them so well for a long time just because of that. Um, we talk, we're not, we don't talk regularly, but maybe once a month or twice a month. And usually it's just about what we're working with at the time, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they feature my stuff because they feel it's on merit, that, that I'm the one making the waves in the scene at that particular time. And then there's a few months where I won't be in it because I'm not, you know, and that's how it goes. But I love the, I love the fact that, it's it's unbiased in that sense. There's people in there that I can't stand that are making waves, but they don't care if I can't stand them. You know, I don't have I don't have the ability to influence their opinion on anything, and I love that. Yeah, and so on a bit of a similar topic, there there's a lot of controversy around that whole attitude seed bank incident where there was other photos for you know yeah. representing the riot strains. What's what was your take on that? What happened there? All right. Um, the, the the photo they're referring to is for Skunko's work with Blood Rose, and it was uh, Heath Robinson's Black Rose was up there as a picture, which was one of the moms from Heath himself. And that wasn't really that big of a deal with the attitude. It's just I told him, I said, this is what's going on. Skunko just told me, take it down. That's not the mom. Take it down. They took it down. What happened with the attitude, There's there's a, it was a it was a two-tiered thing. And the first one was when we were up there, me and Subcool TGA were the only Americans on that site at the time. Um, not Gage, not Hayes Man. I was the one that brought them on later, um, but just me and Subcool. 
And I didn't really know Subcool from anyone. I didn't know his, his husband, Mr. Jill, at the time either. And they emailed the girl, I believe her name was Natalia at the time, and said, you know what, that guy's an asshole. If he's on here, we don't want to be on here. And at the time, they were, they were making the most money for him. I wasn't making that much money for him. So, you know, the chick emailed me and said, you know, Subcool's one of my good friends. And he said that you guys are not nice. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we we need to talk about what we can do to to do this. Can you email them and, and, and kind of be nice to them and be kissy kissy? And I said, no, fuck them. I'm not doing shit. Anyway, so that kind of stuck in her head that I wouldn't work with her that way and, and just go kiss his ass for no good reason or his wife's husband, whatever it is, his ass. Um, and the other the other problem was that at the time, uh, Gage he had just started his company and Hayes Man were on my site and I uh, because they were both friends. And Hayes Man had just left uh, making seeds from Moda. And they had asked me to sell their seeds for them. They didn't have an outlet. And I said, okay, I'll do that. So I was selling their seeds. And when the Attitude had originally picked me up, I said, I will come on, but only if you bring these two guys with me. Because when I go up, I want my friends to go up. That's just how it goes, you know? And at that time, I was also trying – I was put, I was pushing Bodhi so hard to go on the Attitude. And he didn't really want to at the time just because he, he's, he approaches everything very cautiously. And he's smart. He's smarter than I was. That's for damn sure. Uh, and uh, so I got Gage on there and Hayes Man, and they picked up five packs from each, just an easily five-pack order. But they, they agreed that that's what they would do at the time, and if they sold well, then they'd pick up more. And I said, great, that's great. Uh, I didn't make a dime off of their sales. That wasn't the point. The point was to get them on there. Um, then Gage sent me an email and said, hey, man, I would love your contact at the Attitudes email address so I could thank her. And I was like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah, I'm not making any money off you. I don't give a shit if you go around my back. I mean, it was obvious what he was doing, but I, I didn't care because I wasn't making any money off of him. But that's not what he did. He emailed her and said, yeah, I don't know what this Matt guy's told you about me, but, you know, he's kind of a shithead. And he's like completely buried me to her. So not only was I buried by Subcool, then I was buried by him, my own friend, his supposed friend at the time. And that's when the attitude were just, they, uh, Natalia started writing me nasty emails, and I called her a dumb bitch, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> End of story. Interesting. That was and, it. and so, yeah. is that kind of the origins of the whole Gage Green dispute, or does it trace back more to JoJo Rizzo's stuff? Or uh, you know, I JoJo was a friend of mine. He was a friend of uh, my friend NCGA North North Cal Growers Association. He's a friend of a lot of ours, and not a lot of us knew the whole true story about how he had overdosed. Who who had given him the stuff to overdose on and where all of his seed stock went. And over time, we started to learn more and more as Gage would fucking let little bits out, little bits of info out, and then he'd say, oh, yeah, I got this agenda. I got this. It's like nobody else had that. He didn't pass it out. How the fuck did you get that, you know? And little bit by bit, the story would come out. But that was that was almost the end of our friendship, and he did that with me in Italian. And I, even then, I gave him another chance. I was like, dude, that was kind of fucked up. What would you do that for? That wasn't very nice of you, and he, he apologized. And then, you know, a few months later, I get an email from someone saying, hey, this guy's burying you to me. Like, you know, just a random customer. I'm like, what? Are you sure? And he's like, yeah, yeah. So I hit up Gage again. Hey, what the dude, what are you doing? Are you okay? You know, like, let, talk to me. What's going on? What are you pissed about? And then, you know, he'd say, no, no, I'm not doing that. And then eventually it happened again. And I confronted him. He's like, yeah, you know what? You're a fucking asshole. I don't like you. And that was it. That was it. And he continued to bury me from then on out. So I just kind of stayed cool for a while. I just figured I'd catch him out and about and slap the shit out of him, calm him down. <laughs> but he's hard to catch, man. He's hard to catch out of places. He, he runs pretty quick. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's about where he's at, old bald-headed Heisenberg-looking motherfucker. 
And so I guess the same thing um, with the subcool drama, you know, I guess that all kind of extended from that initial attitude incident. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I didn't really know them that well. I mean, I didn't give a shit about their lines. They were working with Brothers Grimm stuff, which is great. Brothers Grimm already did it, and they were just rehashing old Brothers Grimm work. Um, I didn't have any respect for them because of what they did to Sonny Chiba. But at the same time, I didn't really know them personally, so I didn't give a shit to attack or say anything about them. I didn't know them personally. But after they did that, you bet your ass I learned about them and fucking made sure and raised hell with them everywhere I could. You fuck with my business. You fuck with my livelihood. And at the time, I was helping my grandma, who had Alzheimer's, fucking pay for her, her nursing home bill. And that was, that was like all of my money was going to that. And they cut into that hard. They made it really hard for me to do that. So I took that personal, and I still take it personal to this day. Okay. And so I'm an asshole you... like that. I keep grudges. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, you mentioned Heath Robertson and the Blood Rose earlier. I think I yep. found a post online where Heath says that, you know, essentially you initially came to him at some point and asked for some of his genetics saying you were going to be doing a medical type project, which I think is the one you were referencing earlier in the episode. Is that, yep. is that really what happened or is that story no, just a bit that, fabricated? That, when, I, when I first talked to him, that was what we talked about. And then he found out I had original Apollo 13 F1 lines from Brothers Grimm. Because originally he wasn't going to do anything with me. He's like, hey, dude, how about you send me those seeds and I'll, I'll send you like, you know, 100 of the Black Rose. All right, well, that sounds good to me. Send him those seeds. Um, and he had an intermediary, this dude named Oso Green, who works for Insane Seed Posse. And that guy was a fucking another piece of work. Him and Heath were fucking butt buddies, like on the real butt buddies. And um, yeah, so those two, those two just basically fucked me over really hard. Didn't send me shit. But Skunko had already gotten more uh, Black Rose seeds from uh, Pot Pimp, this dude rips that that's another accurate name for that dude rips um but he had gotten those seeds from him and that's where i, I didn't even make the fucking line so i don't know what he's talking about <laughs> you know like yeah. i didn't even make the line it didn't work the line i had nothing to do with it other than releasing it for skunko but yeah no i did try to get the seeds from him originally and we were going to try to work with him and do stuff with them i mean shanty baba worked with us back then and uh ernesto from buddha seeds worked with us back then delta nine labs worked with us back then and i'm still friends with all those guys to this day all of them. And they were all happy with what we did with them. The only people who weren't happy were him. Um, I mean, I contacted everyone in California to be a part of it. Rascal. Rascal still talks shit like he knows anything. Um, but yeah, him, it, was, it was Rascal and uh, Heath Robinson turned, to be out, turned out to be the biggest dickheads out of all that shit. So what was the deal with Rascal? Because, I mean, he was also someone who claims that you stole his photos for your strains um, <laughs> in that same part of the Heath Robinson thing. That, that's fucking brilliant. I, you know, I've never at, at that point I'd never even grown anything of Rascals. We had been growing clone only stuff uh, for the most part that we were working with. Don't oh, know sorry, why I he mean, would claim that. No, sorry. I mean um, that you used some of his photos of his plants for your strains. Oh no, that's that's uh, pretty fucking impossible. No, the only the only photo that ever got used was one of Heath Robinson's, and that was for Skunko's lining. He passed me the fucking picture. So it's yeah. like. And the second I found that out, I was like, okay, take this shit down. That's not good. Bad business, you know? But, yeah. um, but Rascal, no, he don't. The only thing he ever had to fucking do was he got an email from me. He told me to fucking kiss his ass. And I said, all right, dude, later. That's it. That's my only interaction with that piece of shit. And he still runs his dick sucker all the time now, but usually that's busy working on Swerve's fucking knob. <laughs> Are you going to have to edit all this? 
it, it, only if you want me to. <laughs> no, you're like, no, don't edit anything. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so where does Swerve fit into things then? Oh no, he's just a runt. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> he's just fun. To, he's just he's just a loudmouth asshole. He's nothing special. He, I I don't even dislike Swerve. I feel bad for him. You know, he's made quite an ass out of himself over the years. I feel, I pity the guy, but he's never done anything bad to me other than top shit. And he, I mean, that plenty of people do that. I don't mind that. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people uh, seem to hold a bit of a grudge about the comments you made about Outlaw when he was arrested, you know, and the whole, that whole situation, you know. Would you do anything differently if you could do that one again? What did I say? He was a piece of shit? Along those nope. lines. Yeah, no, I, he's still a piece of shit. <laughs> he's a piece of shit then, he's a piece of shit now. I mean, I, I, said, I specifically said it sucks when anybody gets arrested for this plan. I don't wish that on anyone, but the guy's a cocksucker, so... I mean, I don't have any sympathy for him. I'm risking the same shit. Everybody's risking the same shit. We all know what we're risking, especially back then, you know. Um, it wouldn't have made me any less of a jerk. I don't know why it would make him any less of a jerk. So now, hell no, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, okay. And so I guess maybe a question to tie up this little segment. Um, <laughs> the, the, current inst- the current cannabis community would largely be described on Instagram, at least, as, you know, full of drama and backstabbing and things like that. Do you feel like this is an accurate statement or do you feel like there's always been ongoing dramas and feuds? There's, I mean, fuck. I mean, for me, there's always been ongoing dramas and feuds, but I'm one of the few people who will snap back at people or say anything. I mean, you don't see Bodie in a lot of dramas or feuds. You don't see, I mean, there's, it doesn't really happen to him, but that's because he's so fucking nice and he's hard to get a hold of to people, but I'm not. I try to be really accessible and and that's, that's been a hard part of it. Um, As far as Instagram goes though, like, I mean, if you see my Instagram, I mostly post pictures of records. There's a reason for that. <laughs> People are assholes on there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just getting worse because there's a lot more people involved in the scene. I mean, back then there were probably a hundred of us. Now there's tens of thousands of people calling themselves breeders, and it's just worse and worse every day. And they're all little backbiters. Like you're talking about Gromer, Grover, whatever Gro- his name is. Gromer, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's all up in that shit. You know, all those guys. The only reason I know their names is because all the shit talk. But, you know, more power to them. If it makes them happy, if, they're, if that's the way they want to spend their time. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I guess a bit left field of all the previous questions. I, I've kind of questioned in my mind, how come you don't have any Gorilla Glue hybrids? It, it seems like a strain you'd breed with, but I couldn't seem to see any. Is, there, is that a no. conscious decision? Yeah, that was a conscious decision. One, one being that, uh, my friend Jason from Dark Horse, he has he went out of his way to make sure and get the right the right rights from the breeder um, to be the one who worked with it. And Jason worked hard to do that, and I respect that. And I I'm not going to step on his toes. He's one of my friends, you know. And that was that was pretty much it. Okay. I'm help I'm helping him make the S ones in a way right now. So, um, I mean, it's there's work, but it's not it's not my hands on work. It was originally going to be, but now it's just mostly um, advisement on how to make the S ones. And so, how do you feel about all the other brands who offer S ones of it? You know, given that information, we've just learned about the exclusivity rights. Um, I mean, that's up to them if they want to do that or not. If they want to make friends or they want to make enemies, that's up to them. You know. Um, I just don't stab my friends in the back, and if they're not friends with him and they think that's okay, then that's up to them. But, I mean, Jason has a lot of friends. He has a lot of friends like me, and I have a lot of friends, and it just all backfires eventually. I mean, that's up to them. Yeah, okay. 
And so, do you ever ha- do you ever want to get any of your lines and try to take them to like a true breeding point, like maybe an extended B- BX project or you know some kind of IBL? Um, the right berry is already at that stage to where it's true breeding. Um, and that's all the crosses we are making with it now are from the true breeding stance. That's why almost every rye berry cross is purple and blueberry. And which um, which generation as, are they at? Uh, F7. The rye berry made it to F7, and that's where we stopped it because that was any anything further than that. It was just not doing anything extra to the line. Um, mm, as far as IBL, <laughs> um, that's that's quite a heavy undertaking. I, I don't know any IBLs that are true IBLs. Deep Chunk, maybe, but even that has a green phenotype and a purple phenotype, which means it's not a true IBL. Um, trying to get an IBL in cannabis is is not – I can't say it's not achievable, but I've never seen it fucking happen any, anywhere. So in trying to do that, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go down that path of, of frustration. Yeah, okay. And so – when you grow, just for personal use, are you like more of a, a few strains, like you get in some variety, or are you just like a one or two strain guy? No, I always have a lot of variety, and I, I prefer a lot of Southeast Asians for myself. Uh, okay, so what are some of your favorites? Um, the right beer line would be one. It's mostly Thai dominant. Um, uh, the original Santa Cruz Blue Dream, again, Thai dominant. It's just because that, that works with my, my, um, my chemical my chemical body type you know it it just it's happy stuff and uh indicas tend to depress me and make me depressed and and anxious uh hazes don't really make me anxious but they i don't know just it's not my thing uh it's it's very specific to the southeast asian stuff for myself yeah okay and so if you could only name one what's your favorite strain Mm, for personal smoke uh, it would be the right berry, definitely. It's not too heavy. It doesn't end day, end my day because I, you know, I run a business. I gotta stay awake. Yeah, and, uh, that's what I tend to like to do. And so, would you consider the riot berry or the clockwork orange to be more kind of uh, you know the the thing that comes to mind when people think of riot seeds? Uh, you know, I think everybody associates a clockwork orange with us just because it's been around the longest. It's the rarest. The clone is. I mean, it sells for twenty grand a shot, you know, and that's that's always been a big thing with us. Um, <laughs> for a while, it had the record in California, selling for five hundred an ounce, like constantly, and and never going for under that. And it was only sold by the ounce; it was never sold by the pound. So it had it had a lot of um, really special things to it associated with it. I wish Riotberry would probably be um, more popular associated with us because I did more work with it. And worked harder on it, and I think achieved more in a breeding standpoint. But I think overall, Clockwork Orange is probably associated with this more. Okay, and what's what's like the an upcoming project that you're personally really excited for? Um, I do want to do more work with our Platinum Banana. I mean, that that was only been released maybe a few times. We did the B, the S one a few times, and we did the BX one project. But there's a lot more to do with that. Um, yeah, there's a lot more to do with that. I've been really stoked with uh, the East Coast Sour Diesel Strawberry Cream Cross, uh, using that in a bunch of lines because it's just it's like it's it's been really reliable at all of its outcrosses being keepers to someone at some point. They're they're all really phenomenal, and that was kind of a surprise because um, diesel is very picky and usually not predictable. But the strawberry cream cross to it for some reason gave it a lot more predictability, and, and it, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, okay. 
And so what's one of the strains that, you know, if you could only pick one that you'd really love to get back in your library that's been lost either by you personally or just everyone? Oh, God, that's a hard one. Um, uh, San Diego Purple Trainwreck was really good. It was a specific cut of Purple Trainwreck. And this is before DNA was releasing their um, Purple Train or whatever the fuck they called it. It was just across from there, um, and it was just really good. It had the same – it almost had like that Thai Thai Pai uh, from the train wreck side, but it was just really, really, really happy. And um, if you smoked the resin from it, um, it would – if you smoked enough of it, it would give you almost like tracers like acid has, and that was really cool. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And so, I mean, you mentioned earlier before selling clones. You're one of the few readers who I've seen, you know, openly kind of selling clones. Do you feel that's something that other breeders should do, or is it just something you're just kind of taking advantage of because no one else is? Uh, no one should do it. No, hell no. Nobody should do that shit. <laughs> Leave it up to me. <laughs> no, I mean, like, there's been times where I, like, like uh, where I was moving and I backed up my whole room, like, five times over because I didn't want to lose anything. And I had a lot of shit left over because I didn't lose a single plant. And I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck am I going to do with all this? Well, so I was like, oh, well, I'll just put up some for sale. And if any breeders want to get a hold of it, stuff that they would normally wouldn't even have a shot at getting. And I got a lot of good responses from that. So now when people see, like, that I'm working with something, they'll make me an offer on what you know whatever they think it's worth. And if I think it's worth sending it to them for that amount and going through the hassle of fucking shipping and all that shit, then I'll do it. If not, then I won't. But, yeah, it's it's cool. I mean – I don't see a lot of breeders doing that because a lot of breeders are working with stuff that you can go buy at collectives. So it'd be yeah, pointless. So, so, I mean, how do you feel about the whole concept of kind of like, you know, I'm not going to say clone hoarding, but like, you know, really not giving clones out to many people at all. Do you feel like that's more positive than it is negative or it's just, you know, mm, I used to be really, really stringent about that. I mean, if someone asked me like, don't pass this out, it never goes out. And that's just the way it is. I mean, that's why I have the connections that I do. I never, I never break that. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, Clockwork Orange, I kept that back from so many people, and I've almost lost it so many times that I was like, okay, this is getting kind of ridiculous. I'm going to end up losing this uh, just out of greed. So, no, I stopped doing all that shit just for my own personal shit. It, it's, it's too easy to lose shit that way. Yeah. Okay. And so, out of all the strains you've tried over the years, what's the worst? Oh, God. Um, probably something I made. And it was a, it was a, um, it was DeShaman's Purple Widow, and it was it was just like I was fucking around with auto flowering shit at the time for no reason. It was just seeing what would happen. Crossed to um, Lowrider, and it was the worst shit I've ever seen in my life. The DeShaman Purple Widow in the first place auto flowered, and it shouldn't have made any seeds, but I seeds were left over, and I was like, okay, I'll try this shit. It was terrible. It was fucking horrible. It was it was as bad as any like brick swag I've ever seen, and I was responsible for that madness. <laughs> that was the worst strain ever. So, I mean, like, just touching on Lowrider, how do you feel about autos? Is it something you'd ever look into or no? I did it a long time ago. I, I released a few lines, but it was only because I was trying to fill a void in the market, in the American market. And really, I don't. I wasn't happy with any of the – I mean, they're okay. People were happy with them that grew them. But, I, I mean, real growers aren't going to be happy with that. They grow real strains. It's just not – it's never going to be the same or equal as long as you're using Ruderalis. Um, but if I was like an aspiring breeder nowadays and I really wanted to learn how to breed and watch selection and, and, and how, how uh, progeny comes out, I would, I would advise someone go get some regular autoflowering seeds because they have a very short cycle and you can see 
selection and evolution in action a lot faster than you would using a normal line. Just to learn how outcrossing works, learning, selecting traits, et cetera, et cetera. That's what it's good for is training someone how to do that. And that's about it with that shit. And, of course, like Europeans that have to grow in like little tiny apartments. I mean, I'm sure they're good for that. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier that like S1ing a clone only can be like a good way to retain the genetics, improve the vigor and things lost over the years. Do you Mm -hmm. feel like there's any other ways to improve the, you know, the the traits that have been lost over the years or you just have to S1 it, so to speak? Um, No, I mean, you can also tissue culture. I mean, but that's that's not necessarily through breeding. It's just tissue culturing. You can get a lot of the vigor back. Um, I, I tend to use a lot of S1ing if I'm not using it just to make seeds. I use it for a lot for parental identification to see what other phenotypes are that the parents would have put out in order to guess the parentage parentage of a line. Um, that's also a good a good use of it. But yeah, I mean, like if for getting a figure back to a plant, the only things you can really do are S1ing it, um, outcrossing it, and selecting for a phenotype, and then stabilizing that trait through a successful or successive breeding or through uh, yeah S1ing. That's it. Okay. And so is tissue culturing something you're doing at the moment or looking into, or you think it's kind of just more of a, a dream? Um, we did it um, early on, very early on, very, very early on, before anybody was like selling kits or anything. It was very fucking hard to do because um, we did it in a normal house without a fucking fume hood, without any kind of HEPA filtration system. And it was not very successful. I mean, it was very, very little success with it. And um, every time I've tried it since, it's been similar spotty stuff. Um, I have friends that have done it successfully without all that stuff, and I don't know how they did that. They must have insanely anal OCD cleaning abilities <laughs> and not like I'm wearing masks and shit. But um, I think it's a great thing to do. I just I, You really need a lab setting to be able to do it successfully and make it reliable. Yeah. And so we see like, you know, these kits where you can take little cuttings of leaves of little seedlings and, and get, determine their sex and stuff like that. Do you think that this rise in kind of our use of scientific tools and techniques is going to continue to rise or they're just like kind of a moving fad and we'll always do things kind of the way we have? Um, I, I don't know. I think I really do think that tissue culturing is going to be the, the ideal way of the future. I mean, you can store so many samples in such a small area with much less light. I mean, it, it is the ideal method as long as you have uh, a clean space, but it's HEPA filtration and, and lab Lab settings get cheaper. Um, you know, you'll probably see people more doing that more than cloning. Um, but as for right now, I mean, cloning is just so easy to do that I, I don't see that changing in the near future. Yeah, of course. And so, a lucky last question. Sure. If you, if you could go and get one, oh, sorry, if you go and get some land race seeds from one period of time from any region, where would it be? Oh, that's a good one. Ah, oh, fuck. Um, I would like to go back to to China during some of the earliest earliest uh, like man's earliest work with cannabis and harvesting it and growing it and the first early selections of it to see what it really looked like. I mean, there's a lot of uh, guesses on whether it was a broad-leafed indica-type plant or whether it was uh, a narrow-leaf plant. What and what exact valley it was from. Um, and what it was like, what its early traits were like. That would that would probably be, be the the ultimate dream is to see what the the first cannabis plant looked like before it went all around the world and changed its look and form. Yeah, interesting. And so, sorry, just to clarify the uh, the kind of the cradle of life is in China. You think? 
Yeah, that's 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 been the scientific hypothesis since the seventies. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Like I guess near the mountains, maybe or. Um. Uh, yeah, or the Golden Triangle, I think. Uh, okay. I think it's either supposed to be that or like the the yeah I think the Chinese Yunnan Mountains. There's some some people that say that, but I, I think the Golden Triangle is also another other place that it could be. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Awesome. Well, yeah, I think that just about brings us to the end of it. Was there any shout-outs right. or comments you wanted to make? Um, no, I think I already talked about everyone that, that, that's, that's been really awesome. Um, everyone else that, that's helped me along the way on Riot Seeds, thank you. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today, Matt. All right. Thank you. So what do you think? Do you like Matt more now? I think I do. Hope you had a good time with us. Thanks again to Organic Gardening Solutions, 420 Australia, and most importantly, Matt Wright and Wright Seeds. I'll see you.